0: The views and opinions of this program are those of the host guests and callers. There is substantial risk of loss in trading futures and options, which you should carefully consider prior to trading. Today's episode of Market Talk is brought to you by GrowMark FS. Keeping up with the latest in ag is a challenge, to say the least, but there are experts nearby ready to help. You'll find them at your local FS. You can trust them to bring you customized agronomic grain and energy solutions, bored of the latest thinking. That's because FS specialists receive continuous training that keeps them current on the latest trends, practices, and technologies. So you'll get local expertise that's both exceptional and up-to-date. Visit fssystem.com to learn how FS is bringing you what's next.
1: Bringing you the ag information you need. This is Market Talk. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen.
0: The Soy Complex gapped higher on Tuesday, coming out of the three-day holiday weekend. Welcome into the program. Thanks for joining us here today on Market Talk as we talk about the markets and issues impacting rural America. Great to be with you once again. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Thanks for making us part of your day. We have a lot to get to on today's show. Soybeans, the Soy Complex in general, as I mentioned, gapping higher on Tuesday amid some localized frost events in parts of Argentina. Among the continued drought concerns we see there, really a lot of the news headlines were in the soy complex on the day on Tuesday. Also a very strong day in the hog market on Tuesday as well. We're going to talk about the market trade coming up here in segment two and three with Jim McCormick of agmarket.net. No doubt we'll be talking about those South American issues coming up here a little bit later in the show. But also we're talking weather and what were the impacts of some of that frost in parts of Argentina over the weekend that was making arounds rounds on social media joining us now to discuss our good friend eric snodgrass with nutrient is on the show eric good to catch up with you a, a long holiday weekend right into a week ahead here with everything from snow blizzards heavy totals expected to i know we're getting some ice maybe some severe weather thrown in in parts of the south it's a very eventful week which i'm sure is keeping you on your
2: toes here eric yeah, not a whole lot of rest these last few days as we kind of watch this pattern unfold. But you're right. You know, we've we've had a setup that's really been important for how things are going to shape up for the end of February going into March. And what what's happened is for the longest time off the West Coast, there was a big blocking high and it's moved east. Excuse me. It's moved west. That's what's more important. It's moved west. It's out there over parts of Hawaii now. So the flow coming back together of the United States. We're getting the first of several possibly large systems rolling through the country this week. So from parts of Wyoming and Montana, going across South Dakota, clipping northern Nebraska, clipping southern parts uh, of North Dakota, we're going to have this system roll right through parts of Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Michigan. And right now there's blizzard warnings out for parts of uh, you know South Dakota, uh, parts of Minnesota. The potential on the snowfall here. Uh, is quite high some places may be able to pick up um, better than 15 inches of snow some of the forecast models are really, really getting aggressive and showing uh, upwards of 20 to 25 inches and i know that the national weather service out of minneapolis is calling for these big snowfall amounts now it's terrible right i mean we don't want I mean, put people people that are there are like i'm t- so sick of the snow and so sick of this winter but the reality of it is is there's a lot of moisture in that snow and there's going to be an ice band to the south but that goes through parts of iowa Cuts to northern Wisconsin, excuse me, northern Illinois, southern Wisconsin into the lower part of Michigan. There's water in that as well very disruptive to our livelihoods and our travel, but absolutely critical for what we're gonna see for the rest of the spring. So right now to be able to see this much moisture, even though it's coming in the form of snow, we like it. You're right, coming out of parts of Oklahoma into Missouri tomorrow on Wednesday, we do have the risk for some strong severe storms. And there will be some heavy rain that moves to the Eastern Corn Belt. And the bigger picture of all this is remember that drought we had in fall of 2022 is still sitting under this at 40 inches. We need to get this moisture back in the profile so I really like it. And by the way, that's just the the, the the second half of this. The front half of all of this is way over there in the western United States where maybe the Sierra Nevada pick up four feet of snow in the next 10 days. The Central Rockies get more snow. That's on the upper Colorado Basin where we need it. The Cascades are going to get more snow. So these really active end of winter patterns, while disruptive, are perfect setup for going into spring. There's places that are missing out. We should talk about that. Massive Southeast Ridge. I'm sitting under here today in Florida. It's hot. Uh, it's dry. That extends along the Gulf Coast. And unfortunately, these systems are coming out of Colorado, going to the Great Lakes. So they're not pulling that moisture back into Texas. In fact, today in Texas, there's a red flag warning. and There will likely be an ice storm that, or excuse me, a windstorm that produces dust that comes out of parts of Texas. Nobody in Texas wants me to say ice storm ever again. The <laughs> ice is north. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's a pretty active day today and the progress of this week.
0: Well, and as you mentioned, obviously the short-term impacts are going to be, you know, a lot of folks, especially under the snow and ice, going to be stuck for a couple of days. They're not going to be able to travel, do much of anything, got to make sure they have the necessities in their house. But as you said, that moisture that's going to come from this, we have to think here, you know, long-term, going to be so important here as we start to think about spring planting, which, Eric, is just a couple of weeks away for many folks.
2: It is. And right now, if you said, Eric, where the wind's going to be tight, I'd say mid-Mississippi Valley, uh, lower Mississippi Valley, getting into the Ohio Valley, Tennessee Valley. Those areas just continue to show up with more and more and more moisture. And if that's the case, then we're just going to see repeated systems following the same track. And that's going to just go through there and really tighten windows up. Now, what makes it even worse is that big southeast ridge where all these systems kind of roll around. Oh, shoot, if that stays there, it's another sign that that region stays wet, but this could mean early spring warmth. We're certainly feeling it right now. I mean, my wife just texted me a few minutes ago. We live in central Illinois. She says uh, the pin oak just budded this week. I'm like, holy cow. So I'll have to get home and see what that looks like. But you're hearing a lot of this. I saw in Tennessee tulips on the side of the road two weeks ago. Uh, so there is uh, this. This is what this early spring is doing. By the way, folks in the West are listening to this, going, "What are you talking about, early spring?" Yeah, they're they're tucked away in the cold, deep cold throughout the West United States. And it turns out that that cold versus warm setup is what's driving all this active weather. So spring right now, I'd stay tight. I just see a lot of tight windows in the Eastern Corn Belt, and we got a lot of that snow to melt, which means those folks would be waiting for that to get out of there before they can get in the fields.
0: Eric, let's talk South America. Over the weekend, the long holiday weekend, saw plenty of pictures of frost in Argentina. You know, we've been talking about drought and dryness, but then seeing frost in parts of Argentina. My question to you is, how widespread was this frost event, and how much damage did it do to an already you know, highly affected soybean
2: crop in Argentina? Yeah, remember, when the crop's at this stage, we need to be below, like, 27 Fahrenheit for a while to really just... Do- destroy the, the tissue. And you're going to see some pictures of that happening because there were a few places that got down that cold. But by all metrics that I can measure, it was pretty local. Some very small areas were hit. But when that happens, we tend to see those pictures. And because it's half a world away, we, we don't know how you know how big it was. But the data suggests that a lot of folks got down into the one to three degrees Celsius range or what we call the mid to upper 30s. But there were a few places that touched into the frost. Um, what was interesting was some of it was pretty far north, like around Santa Fe. I saw some pictures that were apparently located from there and it must've been an elevation driven thing. I am not sure, but overall, remember that crop was hit hard by drought. And even though it tried to make a good recovery in late January, uh, into early February, it's now back over dry there again. So just think what these temperatures did at one point, uh, about seven days ago, it was like 104 degrees in North central Argentina frost and they're going to go back up into the upper 90s in the next few days uh so they're going to really see us swing in t- temperatures and you probably heard a lot of people saying this you know it's kind of the equivalent season wise that it's august so just imagine having a frost in in, in tennessee in august i mean that's how far you know away from the equator we're talking here now central brazil north of there continues to stay very wet and that's going to be top concern for me because they got to get that crop out at some point and plant safrina and I mean, they've had some places there that are approaching some of the wettest conditions in the last 20 to 30 years. And um, folks right now are going, okay, okay, it's green, big potential production. But at some point, we've got to have the action time period to get in and get the crop out. So there's that going on right now in that part of the country.
0: Well, a lot of things to keep our eyes on. Of course, we appreciate the time and the analysis with the weather forecast. You can follow Eric's daily weather newsletter as well from Nutrien. Uh, You can find the link on our website, markettalkag.com. With that, Eric Snodgrass and Nutrien, always a pleasure, sir. Thanks for joining us today. We'll talk to you again next week. Yeah, sounds good. Up next, we'll talk market impacts with Jim McCormick of agmarket.net. Back with more Market Talk right
3: after this.
1: Stay up to date and listen to past episodes online at markettalkag.com. Now, back to Market Talk with Jesse Allen.
0: Well, as we look at Tuesday's trade coming back out of the three-day holiday weekend, really the storylines sat in the soy complex with a gap higher in beans, bean meal, bean oil, seeing some strength as well. We had a really strong day in the hog market too. We had a lot of pressure in the outside markets, namely the Dow Jones. So plenty to take a look at here on the show today. Pleased to have with us our good friend Jim McCormick with agmarket.net joining the show today. Jim, always good to catch up with you sir hope you're doing well
4: i'm doing well jesse uh nice and sunny here in uh, chicago but we do have an ice storm on the way tomorrow so uh you know mother nature still uh can't decide if spring's on the way or not
0: yeah you have the ice storm and uh, folks to the north and northwest of you are going to have uh, around two feet of snow it sounds like so i'm with you it doesn't uh, you know spring can't decide if it wants to get here soon or later It's something we'll definitely uh, be watching in the uh, weather storylines moving forward speaking of weather though south america argentina we saw some localized frost over the weekend that seemed to be the uh, the main storyline driver in that soy complex on tuesday coming out of the three-day holiday weekend jim
4: that is definitely the story it's kind of unusual for them to get a frost this time of year it's what would be you know, probably equivalent to a, a late august maybe early september frost here in the united states to put it in kind of perspective so there is some damage. I don't think it's a lot of damage. It's probably more cosmetic, but it definitely has the trade's attention. I mean, one thing with Twitter, uh, good, bad, right, wrong. When you see bad crops, it gets all over the Twitter sphere, and a lot of people are seeing it. So that's definitely got a little bit of concern in the market. The other thing is there's just not a lot of rain in the forecast for Argentina. The maps keep trying to pull rain into it, but the reality is it just doesn't fall. So the crop is getting smaller by the day, by all accounts. And then lastly, um, you know, where is not getting rain is Argentina, but who's getting too much rain is Brazil. They're now f- continuing to fight to get this crop out. They're somewhere between 20 and 25 percent harvested. So they are making some progress, but it's behind pace. So those three uh, parts of the store, what's kind of driving this bean market right back up? And, you know, it's pretty amazing. I, you would have asked me a few weeks ago. I did not think you'd have a shot of seeing producers have a shot at selling $14 new crop beans. But here we are right on the cusp of that as we speak.
0: Definitely right on the cusp of it. You know, we continue to watch what's going on in South America, both Brazil and Argentina, as you mentioned. I know export shipments came out on Tuesday. Uh, Looking at the soybean side, we still seemed like we had a little more erosion of, uh, you know, the tight stock situation here on soybeans, too. So I'd have to think that maybe played in a little bit as well into Tuesday's trade, Jim.
4: Well, that's it. I mean, the reality is, you know, if you look at pricing of beans, Jesse, uh, Brazil to us for, for, you know, spring delivery, Brazil's got the, has all the pricing advantage we've got. But the reality is they're having a very hard time logistically getting grain to market due to the weather and everything else. So we are continuing to get some sales that I think the market just was not anticipating because traditionally by this time of year, as we get into late February, the sales to China since Chile has been shut off. So we're getting a few bonus sales. And with the ending stocks as tight as they are, that'll continue to tighten a little bit. Now, on the other hand, I was going to say the corn inspections were actually horrendously, you know, they're within expectations around 25 million, but we need to ship out about 50 million to hit the USDA's target. So the corn sales still are not where we need them to be. Uh, Otherwise, uh, the government may have to do some more cutting of the corn export number down the line.
0: Yeah, and yet the corn market didn't do a whole heck of a lot on the day Tuesday, it just kind of drifted a little bit higher, really. Just, you know, this corn market has been interesting. It seems like no matter what news item is thrown at it, it just doesn't want to do anything, Jim.
4: It's stuck in a range. I mean, right now, I think you, you've kind of got a battle of, hey, the stocks could be tight if China comes in and buys, but China has not bought. So that is limiting the buying. But you also see the bean market catching a push when beans had a strong day. It does kind of get a little bit of a tailwind to the corn market there. And, you know, it is something we need to keep an eye on. I mean, a couple of years ago, the corn market exploded because Brazil got that corn crop, that safrina crop. That makes up roughly 75 percent of their production planted late. The crop ran out of water. The market exploded higher. So we need to keep an eye on that situation in Brazil. They are behind pace. But the reality is they can make up that pace pretty quick. And still have a very good crop, but the market just, you know, we're kind of just in more of a sideways range trying to decide, will that demand come or will it not come? And then also, uh, you know, we're going to get that acreage battle heating up relatively quick as we get the outlook numbers from the government form, the outlook form numbers from the government this week. And then, you know, we'll see what the market starts arguing into the acreage report at the end of March.
0: How is I should ask too on soy meal? How is that playing into this whole equation here? Again, we're bumping up around that five hundred dollar a ton mark. That's been an area of resistance that we we tried to put in what looked like a weekly bearish key reversal in this meal market twice now, and it feels like we're maybe you know we tried to do that. Now it's going away once again with Tuesday's action. What's your thoughts with the meal picture? How that's playing into soybeans?
4: Well, raw well, the meals definitely been the driver right now due to the product fact that, you know, Argentina is a very big player in the world meal market. They don't have the yeah. beans. They can't ship out the meal. And that's what drove us to the $500 level. I got to believe, Jesse, though, we're getting a, very, a little bit overbought, technically speaking. I think it's hard to get too bullish for me of meal over $500. I mean, the reality is that Brazil has this crop as big as it is. They will ship some beans over to the Argentina market and the Argentina crushers will take advantage of those beans and turn them into meals. So I think you gotta be a little bit cautious, but right now, as long as that drought story's intact and as long as the story of the Argentina crop getting smaller, it does seem to give a bid to the market. Now, I think in the long run, what you're gonna see is the meal market's gonna come under pressure. I mean, long run, multiple months and years out, and the bean oil is gonna be the one that kind of leads to the crush market as this renewable diesel uh, demand just takes hold over the next couple of years. And the reality is we build out these plants to produce renewable diesel. We're probably actually going to have an excess supply of meal down the line, and we're going to be looking for markets to take that meal eventually.
0: You mentioned the new crop price uh, uh, earlier of soybeans. I want to touch on new crop quarter beans here. I think with old crop, folks have a pretty good handle, hopefully, on where they're at when, when that's the case here, whether they got something left in the bin or not. As far as a little bit of new crop marketing, though, I'm with you. $14 beans, $6 new crop corn pretty strong levels going into spring planting season. It makes sense to me to try and get something started if you haven't started anything already, Jim.
4: I 100% agree with you, Jesse. I mean, the reality is, folks, you're looking at some phenomenally high prices for all intents and purposes for this time of year. And I know the break-evens are not, you know, you're looking at the profitability. It's not as good as it was a year ago. And I know mentally it's hard to sell $6 corn when you're getting $7 in the cash market. But the market. This is how markets top, though. I mean, when you look back in 2012, this is you know we had the same type of situation. When you top, the new crop never like go never goes to where the old crop was, and I think we are in that topping process without a weather market. If Brazil has this monster crop, um, a lot of people are talking 91 million acres of corn, maybe as high as 92. We end up with a big Brazilian crop. We plant 92 million acres of. Corn in the United States and anywhere trend or above crops. The reality is our carryout is probably going to push closer to 2 billion. And I think every producer out there realizes deep down, if we've got a 2 billion carryout, corn is probably going to be a lot closer to five than it is six when it's all said and done. And the reality is this is still a relatively expensive crop to plant. Now I do know fertilizer prices have come down quite a bit from where they were late fall. But remember, Jesse, a lot of people did buy fertilizer in the fall to get it on, and it was quite expensive. So, I mean, there's a very expensive crop going in the ground. I think if you're a producer, both, you know, no matter what you're producing, corn, beans, wheat, you need to make sure these margins are locked in because uh, the economy still is a little bit sketchy. We still don't know, uh, you know, where interest rates are going to go. And, uh, you know, you want you don't want to look back and go, I wish I could have sold this grain profitable down the line when you, you know, and to turn down these high prices, playing something.
0: Speaking of the wheat market, I know KC wheat started to break dormancy there, dry forecast, poor crop conditions. Seems like that was some of what gave us support in KC winter wheat on the day Tuesday. Chicago was under a little bit of pressure, and then spring wheat was kind of in the middle is what it felt like to me. Is that how you'd sum up the wheat market on Tuesday, Jim?
4: I would say so, but the one thing I'd say is dominant spreading is the spread trade. They're buying KC wheat, and they're selling Chicago with – but both hands and be, be quite honest. I mean, the reality is we're not really competitively priced in the world wheat market. So, uh, you know, that's the big market. That's the one the funds like to play in. So they're selling at Chicago and the KC. I think you are finding a little bit of bid simply because this crop coming out of dormancy, it looks like it's gonna be an early spring. Uh, you know, some very mild temperatures are coming and going. And a lot of our producers in that part of the world, Jesse are saying, you know, there's just a very poor stand right now. And, uh, you know, we're, I think there, there's damage done and, uh, you know, as we come in out of dormancy, we're going to know the damage, and maybe that's bringing a little bit of buying into the KC wheat as well.
0: And I know the dollar, last I looked, was a little bit higher on the day, on Tuesday. Uh, doesn't feel like the dollar had much impact uh, in the grain trade overall on the day Tuesday.
4: It didn't have a big impact today, but I think something we need to keep an eye on, the Fed's more likely going to raise interest rates. The reality is the economy is a lot stronger than a lot of people think. You know, some of these earnings are better than people are thinking. So now you're hearing people talk maybe a half-point rate hike instead of a quarter. And the reality is, I think if you're looking for that quote-unquote pause, it ain't going to happen. If it does happen, that meant the economy really turned for the negative. So the reality is the market's starting to price that in. So the equities were all under all sorts of pressure coming out of a three-day weekend. But that higher interest rate will probably drive more money into the U.S. dollar. And in the big picture, that is not good for American agriculture because the higher the dollar gets, the more expensive our products are on the international market, plain and simple.
0: Well, we are having a conversation here today with Jim McCormick of AgMarket.net. Coming up after the break, we're going to talk a little bit about the outside markets, the stock market under some heavy pressure Tuesday. We're also going to get into the livestock trade, really strong day in the hog market. We'll talk about all that and more coming up after the break. Back with more Market Talk on the way right after this.
1: Why are more people heating their homes with FS Propane? Because it's better to work with a company that lives and works in the same community that you do. When it comes to the comfort of your family, trust FS. We have highly trained service professionals who monitor your system for proper operation, safety, and maximum efficiency. So you can be sure that FS Propane will leave your family with a good, warm feeling all season long. Contact your local FS Propane specialist today. FS Propane feels like home. Visit fspropane.com for more information. You informed with the latest market information for your operation. This is Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen.
0: We are having a conversation today with Jim McCormick of agmarket.net, taking a look at the market trade here coming out of the long holiday weekend. Jim, I noticed as well in the equity markets. What are your take here? a really big down move in the Dow Jones on Tuesday uh, last I looked at it. Uh, so it seemed like some pressure there. Maybe that gave us a little bit of money flow into commodities possibly on the day, Jim. I think a
4: little bit of money flow. I think the stock market, you got to look at it, Jesse, it looks a little bit negative. You take out a little, look I kind of forming a little bit of a double bottom on the chart on both the Dow and the S&P, you took that out. And I think the market is, um, you know, I think we're probably going to see a little bit of a correction. The reality is I don't think it's going to be a meltdown. I think we're in a sideways market. But I think there was just a little bit too much optimism that the Fed was close to, you know, letting off that break or, you know, you know putting the break on raising interest rates. I think, you know, like I said, these earnings are coming a little bit better than anticipated. The jobs number, they're all suggesting the Fed's, unfortunately, has got more heavy lifting to do on the interest rates. And it seems like the market just kind of came to that conclusion that maybe they're a little bit too far up on their skis and uh, seeing a little bit of a correction. And, uh, you know, like I said, I don't think it's going to be a meltdown, but I think we're going to cycle a little bit lower in near term.
0: Energies as well. Crude's been kind of stuck in this range, right around eighty dollars, a little bit lower than that. And I know you watch China quite a bit, wondering what our outlooks going to be there with crude demand. A lot of folks think it's going to ramp up throughout the year ahead. What's your thoughts with with crude oil right now, though, and just the range it has kind of developed this kind of channel it's put itself in right now?
4: I think a channel is a good way to put it. I think a lot of people are optimistic in the long run that the crude oil will work higher. I don't know if you're optimistic. If you're an end user, you're not really happy about it. But you know, are a little bit friendly of the crude oil, and that all has to do with China. If China's economy does come out of this COVID lockdown and really get up and running, they're going to start consuming more energy as they compete for that energy. It will drive the price of energy higher. But on the other hand, if China's demand isn't there for some reason, they continue to struggle. We know they've had some housing issues during the COVID situation, as well as this war in Ukraine uh, continues to you know cause problems. Maybe this market just trades more of a sideways mode at this point in time. It seems like it just can't get, like I said, it's kind of like the corn market. You're hearing a lot of stories that could, might just happen, but we're just not seeing that demand just yet. And there's just enough worry that our economy could slide closer to recession to keep uh, you know the buyers on, a little bit on the defensive.
0: Jim, let's talk livestock trade, hog market. What a day there on Tuesday. Kind of the old adage of that pork and bean trade seemed to be evident as we saw a pretty big move uh, to the upside in hogs. I know On Friday, cutouts were sharply higher. Bellies had a huge move. I feel like that might have played a little bit into the strength in this hog market on the day Tuesday.
4: You stole my thunder. That's exactly what drove it up. (laughs) I think, you know, three-day weekend, a lot of people came out. Those numbers are showing the demands there, a little bit of optimism, exports, and away we go. This market has been looking for a bottom forever, and it feels like we're finally getting it. And that, you know, combined with a strong cutout, combined with, you know, people blowing shorts out of the market, I think you're getting a nice little run today, so it's kind of nice to see.
0: But I know on the flip side of that, to play the devil's advocate here, we've seen some of these moves, and then you know we go another day or two ahead, and we usually give it all back. So I wonder, technically speaking, you look at a hog chart fundamentally, I know you mentioned trying to find a bottom, but does this feel like finally this could be something that's sustained, or should we proceed with caution here?
4: I think you need to proceed with caution here. I mean, because the reality is, you know, the chart, everyone's been looking for the bottom of the charts are looking a little bit good, but the reality is the supply is still relatively abundant. You know, we may be seeing a little bit of a reaction to the storm that's coming through. Like I said, where I'm Mm -hmm. at here in Chicago, we're going to deal with ice, but you get north of I-80 and I-90 territory, they're talking one, two feet of snow. So, uh, you know, logistics of that northern, you know, moving uh, livestock, or moving anything in the northern part of this country is going to be slowed down for a couple of days. So that might've added a little bit today's part of been. It may have been part of the reason for some of today's strength.
0: How about this cattle market? Saw a more relaxed day there on Tuesday, but uh, we continue to watch what happens in cash country. It seems like those bids every week end up going up another dollar or two. Um, This cattle market has been interesting to watch. What's your thoughts there coming out of the holiday weekend?
4: Well, well, I think it looks good. I mean, the reality is, like I said, the cash market team is a firm. I think that's probably the best sign I can give you right now. I mean, the one thing I just got to be very cautious to people about is everyone's friendly cattle on the supply side. We know the numbers are going to tighten. You know, when we get the cattle feed report here in February, those numbers are going to be friendly. More than likely, that's been the trend. But the real question is going to be how much will the consumer be willing to pay or is able to pay at this point in time? Are we going to get to the point where you essentially price a consumer out? And that gets a little bit tricky. To know where we stand right now because everyone keeps thinking, wow, maybe we're, this is the time we're going to hit the, you know, credit card debt is at, you know, at all time highs. Maybe that's got to be the limit. But then you look at the credit card debt to, you know, income ratios, they're not as bad as what it was in the early 2000s. So, I mean, every time you, you can look at all sorts of economic stats that say maybe we are going to see consumers finally ringing it in, in, but then the consumers come in and go at it. I saw a headline today saying, you know, we are back to spring break. Um, hotels, airlines, they are completely full. The Americans are on the go. And, you know, that's a good sign. Traditionally, when Americans are out on vacation, they tend to go out to eat. They tend to go to steakhouses, and that the demands there, combined with a tight supply, that is a recipe for bullishness, plain and simple.
0: That is a great point you make, and I think it'll be fun to watch this market here the next uh, couple of months ahead as we go through some of those highlights, get into that summer grilling season as well. Jim, always appreciate the time and insight before we wrap it up today. Any final thoughts you have for us? Anything else you want to reiterate today?
4: I'm going to reiterate probably on the grain side, even the livestock side. I think there is a lot of risk out there is what I re- kind of point out to the you know to the public listening. I mean, you know, there's a lot of bullish stories out there, but the reality is we are probably some of the most uncertain times we've had in a very long time. Um, The economy goes the wrong way too quick. Like I said, this is a very expensive crop we're planning right now. Do not be afraid to lay off that risk and come up with a marketing plan. Don't get caught up on the price, get caught up on the profitability. That is the key. We believe that you can make profitability in 2023 that guarantees you're going to be farming in 2024. That is the plain and simple fact. If you're not profitable in 2023, 24 could be a very tough year, yeah, especially we happen to have very good crops going into a cycle of big South America crop, followed by a U.S. cycle of big crops. That is the recipe of lower prices. So uh, now's the time to defend these prices. There's not too many times you have an opportunity to lock in $6 corn and $14 beans uh, you know, before uh, Easter, plain and simple.
0: Well, Jim, if folks need a little help, little advice, looking at the profit side versus just the price and talking with you guys there at agmarket.net, what's the best way to get in touch with you guys?
4: You can reach us at 844-424-6758 or go to agmarket.net and sign up for a free uh, trial of our research.
0: Fantastic. Jim McCormick, agmarket.net. Always a pleasure, sir. Uh, definitely uh, be well, stay uh, stay on that ice as much as possible here this week, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks so much. Thanks, Jesse. Have a good week. And again, appreciate Jim McCormick's time and insight here on the show. And again, find them online, agmarket.net. Great team of uh, folks over there if you have any marketing questions. Always appreciate his insights. And again, it's going to be an interesting couple of weeks ahead with acreage decisions and more. I know on yesterday's show, we talked to Ken Zuckerberg of CoBank. He shared his thoughts on why lower fertilizer prices won't impact the acreage decisions coming up here this spring. Going to be an interesting couple of weeks ahead. Going to be interesting to see how the South American situation plays out with the crop concerns in Argentina and the delays in Brazil with the rain that continues to fall there. Does that affect Safrina corn planting more on a wide scale or not? Something to keep an eye on. Well, also, uh, we talked a little bit about export inspections uh, for the week out on Tuesday morning. Court inspections totaled 24.5 million bushels for the week ended Thursday, February 16th. Total inspections in 22-23 are now 541 million bushels, down 37% from the previous year. Again, not really good numbers. USDA estimating corn exports at 1.925 billion bushels this marketing year, down 22% from the previous year. Corn inspections this marketing year running well below USDA's estimated pace at a time when USDA's corn supply estimate is neutral for corn prices. Soybean inspections totaled 58 million bushels for the weekend of February 16th. Total inspections for this 22-23 marketing year are now uh, 1.521 million bushels up 4% from the previous year. USDA's estimated soybean exports at 1.990 billion bushels in 2223, down 8% for the previous year. Soybean inspections in 2223 running well ahead of USDA's estimated pace at a time when USDA's soybean supply estimate is bullish for soybean prices. And on the wheat side, inspections total 14.5 million bushels for the week ended February 16th. Total wheat inspections this marketing year are now at 539 million bushels, down 3% from the previous year. USDA is estimating wheat exports at 775 million bushels in this marketing year, down 3% from the previous year. Wheat inspections in 22-23 running right at USDA's estimated pace at a time when USDA's wheat supply estimate is bullish for wheat prices, despite the fact that We're not that competitive on the world market. So be interesting to see how this all plays out in the weeks ahead. Corn again, still dismal beans running uh, pretty much right in line and wheat running in line as well. And again, overall on Tuesday's trade action, uh, again, a gap higher in the soy complex. That was where the storylines really were on the day as we saw beans, bean meal, beet oil trade their way higher with uh, beans up around uh, 15 to 20 cents higher bean meal was up around 6 to 7 dollars a ton higher bean oil even finding some triple digit strength throughout the day corn largely quiet up a couple of cents uh, unchanged to up around 3 wheat markets did pull back a little bit We saw some strength in KC wheat, uh, but Chicago wheat, some of that spreading, buying KC wheat, selling Chicago wheat by funds, it appears. Some pressure in Chicago wheat, while spring wheat was kind of just moving right along with Chicago and KC wheat as well. Very strong day in the hog market with triple-digit gains seen in lean hogs, with the cattle market relatively mixed on Tuesday's session. It'll be interesting to see how these markets react to money flow as we move forward through the rest of the holiday shortened week. Again, the stock market under heavy pressure and crude oil mixed around unchanged as well. Coming up next, we're going to take a look at some of the uh, latest news headlines in agriculture, some of the other headline stories that we are watching here this week ahead, including some recent news from the EPA and much more. We'll get to all that coming up after the break as we're back with more Market Talk on the way right after this.
1: market information that matters to you on market talk now back to jesse allen
0: and welcome back to Market Talk. Thanks again to Jim McCormick with AgMarket.net for joining us here with Market Analysis coming out of the three-day holiday weekend on Tuesday. And also a look at the uh, very eventful week ahead for weather, Eric Snodgrass of Nutrient joining us earlier in the show. We appreciate his time as well. Let's take a look at a few news headlines in agriculture before we wrap up the show today. Growth in farm real estate values remained strong but showed some signs of easing alongside higher interest rates. The Kansas City Federal Reserve says. The average interest rates on farm loans increased from record lows at the beginning of last year to decade highs by December of 2022. Now, despite the rapid rise in rates, the value of farmland continued to increase, but at a more tempered pace than earlier in the year. The growth in farmland values has softened most for lower priced land and its states most heavily affected by drought. Now, looking ahead, a majority of bankers expect higher interest rates to have a negative effect on farm real estate, and some anticipate a decline in values. Farm finances and credit conditions were supported by strong commodity prices in 2022, and the outlook for 2023 remained positive despite some persistent risks. Now higher expenses and adverse weather continue to be concerning. Well, a top lobbyist for the ethanol industry told Congress that any national clean fuels program should be market-based and technology neutral. Renewable Fuels Association head Jeff Cooper warned the Senate Environment and Public Works Committee against picking winners and losers in any national clean fuel program.
3: In essence, the clean fuels program sets annual greenhouse gas reduction requirements for the transportation sector, And then it allows the marketplace to determine the most efficient and economical ways of achieving those reductions without dictating the use of specific fuels or vehicles.
0: Offering biofuels a level playing field to compete with electric and other vehicles.
3: We believe renewable fuels like ethanol offer an effective and immediate solution for decarbonizing the transportation sector, including light and heavy-duty vehicles, rail marine and even aviation fuels and
0: all of that with corn
3: today's corn ethanol already cuts greenhouse gas emissions by approximately 50 percent on average compared to gasoline with increased adoption of low carbon farming practices carbon capture utilization and storage and other technologies the u.s ethanol industry is well on its way to producing net zero carbon corn ethanol
0: And doing so by 2050 as pledged by RFA's members, but only if there's fairness in carbon footprint standards, reporting of improvements, greenhouse gas reduction targets and cost containment.
3: And five, it should include complementary measures to remove technical and regulatory barriers that artificially limit greater use of certain low carbon fuel options like the current barrier we have in place today that prevents the sale of of E15 during the summer months.
0: Cooper also called for continued investment in E15 and E85 infrastructure, a strong RFS and equitable flex fuel vehicle incentives. Well, the Environmental Protection Agency proposed new restrictions on using over-the-top dicamba herbicides in Illinois, Iowa, Indiana and South Dakota. We talked about this a little bit on yesterday's show. The label changes say no spraying on dicamba-tolerant soybeans in Iowa, Illinois and Indiana after June 12th or the V4 growth stage, whichever comes first. No spraying on DT cotton in Iowa, Illinois or Indiana after June 12th or first square, whichever happens first. No spraying on DT crops after June 20th in South Dakota. The EP the also said Minnesota's label requirements remain the same as in 2022. Now, the reaction to the change has not been positive in the soybean industry. Aaron Hager, a University of Illinois weed scientist, told DTN the timing couldn't have been worse for soybean growers who intend to plant certain varieties, saying, quote, most or all seed decisions have been made, and now we have to contend with new cutoffs in the largest soybean states in the U.S., end quote. Well, the EPA also announced a proposed rule last week that would improve and modernize the pesticide application exclusion zone requirements. Those requirements are part of the 2015 Agricultural Worker Protection Standard, and the agency is proposing to reinstate several provisions from that standard. Among the changes, the revised standard includes a new provision requiring agricultural employers to keep workers and all others out of an area called the application exclusion zone. The AEZ is an area surrounding an ongoing pesticide application. Now, a previous rule change limited the AEZ to 25 feet in 2020. However, the proposed rule will change that to 100 feet for fine sprays. The distances will stay at 25 feet for medium or larger sprays when sprayed from a height greater than 12 inches from the soil surface. The rule change would also apply the AEZ beyond an establishment's boundaries and when individuals are within easements on a producer's land. Well, back in the February World Agricultural Supply and Demand Estimates Report on February 8th, the Department of Agriculture lowered the use of corn and ethanol by 25 million bushels. Now, that's a bit concerning for Ernie Goss, economist and director of Creighton University's Economic Forecasting Group. He says President Biden's Inflation Reduction Act calls for a 40% reduction in CO2 emission.
5: That's a problem for ethanol, uh, absent any capture and sequestration the uh, ethanol industry, uh, the ethanol plants emit a, quite a sing- significant amount of CO2. So if they're required to reduce it by 40, as much as 40% between now and 2030, that's going to cause some issues and, and going to push them to either uh, capture and sequester the CO2 or cut back. And of course, again, that, that's this is the biggest 75% of the Ethanol produced in the U.S. comes out of this part of the country, and Nebraska is number two in the region, Iowa number one.
0: Many ethanol organizations see the move from ethanol to electric vehicles taking more than 20 to 30 years. Goss says while this could be true in the
5: heartland. We are seeing significant changes. I mean, Ford Motor Company's made a commitment to not uh, reduce gasoline-powered automobiles and trucks uh, beyond, I think it's 2026 on the east and west coast they're definitely moving in that direction automobiles sold in 2022 8% were were ev vehicles the, the biden administration is committed to it so we have to wait and see what happens
0: The recent Creighton University Rural Main Street Index also asked bankers about delivery, capture and sequestration of CO2 from ethanol plants in their area. About 63% of bankers support this process with compensation to farms over which the pipelines cross, while 23.1% of bankers expect the use of eminent domain will be used for underground pipelines to cross farmland. Well, that is going to do it for today's Market Talk. Thanks again for joining us. it up tomorrow, we'll talk to our good friend Mike Zuzalo with Global Commodity Analytics. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Have a fantastic rest of your day. We'll talk to you tomorrow.
1: Why are more people heating their homes with FS Propane? Because it's better to work with a company that lives and works in the same community that you do. When it comes to the comfort of your family, trust FS. We have highly trained service professionals who monitor your system for proper operation, safety, and maximum efficiency, so you can be sure that FS Propane will leave your family with a good, warm feeling all season long. Contact your local FS Propane specialist today. FS Propane feels like home. Visit fspropane.com for more information.